Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucette, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette. Another new episode this week and another new guest talking about their journey through the world of martial arts. Uh, this gentleman I, I met about uh, probably seven, eight years ago through a, one of my many hobbies. We're both involved in the hobby of ham radio. This gentleman is a, a retired school teacher, also a Marine Corps member. He, is, he was with the U.S. Marine Corps for a while and probably over 50 years in the world of martial arts. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing his story. I read the bio he sent me and, and, and I love kind of how he got started, and I can't wait to have him tell that story. So please welcome to the show, Mr. Tim Croft. How are you doing today, sir? Oh, real good, Brian. Cool. Well, as I do with all my guests, let's go back to the beginning. Um, I know you kind of sent me your bio, so I, I know a little bit about it, but talk about that, that first spark, that first interest in martial arts and, and where you first learned of martial arts. Well, my first spark involved a, a trip from leaving our farm. We were in Valley City, and uh, we were at my aunt and uncle's place. And I was out walking around when a couple of the, the city kids uh, from across the street came over and started talking to me. And then they started making some insults about my relatives. And at first, I didn't really care. But then they made some insults about my grandparents. And uh, one of them came forward, and I hit him. And then the second brother came in, I hit him. Third one came in, then I got, took a couple punches, but then they took off. And... Uh, that day, I went and bought a Captain Adam comic book. And as we're driving back to the farm, I open it up, and here's an advertisement learn lightning jujitsu and defeat the bullies. <laughs> now, it was a dollar. So I talked a buddy of mine into uh, going halfway with me. So we each put 50 cents in and bought the uh, lightning jujitsu book by uh, Harry Lord. And uh, Harry Lord was actually one of the guys that was trained under Sykes and Fairbairn in. Uh, hand-to-hand combat. And uh, after the book came, my buddy really wasn't interested. So I bought him out for that other 50 cents. And uh, I still have that book. Um, When I was teaching military close combat, I used parts of it. It's a really well done old little paperback. So it's uh, a neat book. and, And it started my martial arts book collection, which, uh, is relatively decent. That's actually cool that you still have that book. <laughs> I know there's one or two from when I was a kid I wish I could still find. I don't know what happened to them, but that's really great that you still have that. That's So, I mean, you know, there's always been a debate on people, can you learn martial arts from a book? You know, it, will, will it really work? So did you actually learn anything from it? Well, I talked to my younger brother, who's about a year and a half younger than I am, into helping me practice. So we'd lay out a bunch of blankets to make a uh, padded area in the living room and we'd start doing uh, some of the throws and some of the locks and I'd sometimes have to brag him or uh, bribe him to to help me but for a buck or so every now and then he'd make himself available and one day I actually was at recess I think I was probably in third grade at that point and two of the lads that like to create trouble every now and then decided they were going to go and pick on me since I was about the smallest guy in the class. One came, grabbed me from behind. The other guy was stepping in. Well, just, I went and didn't know Goshi basic hip throw threw him over. He says, gosh, he knows jujitsu. So they took off. (laughs) And after that, I really didn't have to fight anybody around the school anymore. So nice. That's actually yeah, cool I mean, that it, it worked out of a book. <laughs> right. And about that same time, my dad had had a, a friend of his come and visit and the, the son had been in the Marine Corps. 
So I talked him into teaching me some stuff. And then I went on and, and anytime I'd found anybody that was military or folks that had taken something at a college, I'd have them show that to me. And then I'd practice it as much as I could until I'd find someone else to learn a new skill. So, so those first few years were just kind of a, a blend of whatever you could find then. Yep. Yep. And then, uh, you know, if anything came on TV, I'd watch it very carefully and, and try to determine whether it was a, a realistic technique or, or um, whether it was just malarkey that was mm-hmm. being shown. But uh, yeah, that's really how I got started. And when you read some of the, the history of martial arts, that's sort of how it was. Uh, some of the, the samurai, they would go and pay for a single technique and learn that. And then they'd go back and pay for another technique when they got that one done. So I, I probably just got the modernized version and, and the kids version of right. the same thing. Modern day samurai. There we go. So who was then when, how long was it before you had an actual instructor, you know, kind of like a formalized type thing? Probably about my freshman or sophomore year in high school. Okay. Tatsuya Saji was an exchange student from Japan. And uh, someone introduced me to him and uh, I asked him to start training me. And that's where it all began, starting out with falls, lots and lots of break falls. Oh, and uh, before we even started the break falls, he'd keep chatting with me about martial arts a little bit and asking me questions. And the whole time it'd have to be tying and untying the obi, tying and untying the obi. Mm-hmm. And once I got that down, so I tied it very, very nicely is when we started with break falls. And, and then uh, he told me that uh, the first thing we were going to start with was judo. So that's what we focused on at that point. Okay. So, and what, what was it about judo? What drew you to it? I mean, was it just that you had someone willing to teach you or was there something about it that, you, you know, you really, enjoyed? um, well, he, he also had his black belts in karate, but he, he told me, he says that uh, it works best to, to have a good basis in judo okay. um, and learning how to fall was important. And by learning to fall, you also learn to take, take a punch a little bit. So uh, uh, once, once I started getting the judo basics down, then he'd start putting in some of the karate uh, to go with it. Okay. And uh and then after a year or two with him, we had a, a guy in um, town that was willing to teach uh, some Mudaquan. And uh, I trained with him. He was a very rough individual and classes were brutal. Um, he actually uh, was uh, happy every time somebody quit. So I, I promised myself no matter what, I wouldn't quit. And after a while, there were three students left. One was a uh, uh, Green Beret that uh, had finished up his tours in Vietnam. And, and another guy was a, uh, a Marine veteran and myself, who at that point was uh, signed up and destined for Marine basic training. Wow. But uh, the classes were, were rough. If, if you look to check how someone else's feet were or something, you'd get hit, knocked to the ground for, for not having good attention. And the, the first class I had with him, he actually, he says, you know, there are two types of instructors. He came up and he pushed on my stomach. He says, now get, get your air out, blow your air out and, and that. And he turns around, I take a breath and he hit me with a back kick and knocked me right to the wall. Wow. And his words were, and that's the second type of instructor. Three guesses, and the first two don't count for guess what kind I am. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah, they don't they don't teach like that anymore, do they? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think that's called a lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And you said that that was Mudaquan Taekwondo. Yep. No, okay. that was Mudaquan, which okay. at, at that point was really famous because that was the Korean military karate mm-hmm. that was utilized. But yeah. No. And actually, when I, it's kind of funny when I when I studied um, Tung Soo Do um, in when I was ten years old, I'm almost positive I'd have to go back and ask my instructor, but I could have sworn that was actually Mudaquan Tung Soo Do also. Right. Yep. So, it was. Um, it kind of split off, and that's really where uh, Chuck Norris right had had started in in Mudaquan, and then it became the Tung Soo Do, and then everything's blended when they when the Taekwondo became so popular and they did away with the old, the old Quans. I think there were seven or eight traditionally. Yep. I believe that were in there. Yeah. Okay. So how long did you train with this gentleman? Uh, for about a, 
little over a year okay. and that. And uh, the one thing I'll say, I wasn't afraid to fight after training with a guy like that, that uh, mm-hmm. sparring was, was very hardcore. You know, you, you didn't deliver full, full blows at any point, but uh, you got hit or kicked when we, when we were training. Okay. So. And then it's, it says in your, in your bio that you sent me that it, he moved away. Then you found another school you had to drive a little distance for. Yeah. He'd stopped training and, uh, Saji wa- wasn't available for a while. So there was a Shotokan group over in Jamestown and they're still, still going. Uh, they were Japan Karate Association and it was, um, oh gosh, I've, the names just slipped by at this point, but, um, the Jamestown Karate Club to this day has some of the best karate that I've ever seen anywhere. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, it's Gary Sherbensky, okay. uh, who was the original guy that would go and train uh, in Minneapolis. And then um, Dean Jensen. And Dean's doing most of the teaching these days. Dean has, I would say, flawless karate. He, uh, his knowledge is outstanding. He trained under Nakayama and Nishiyama before they'd passed away, had uh, exams from them. So Jamestown, North Dakota yet, if someone wants good karate, they can go over there and train with those guys. And and it's absolutely top-notch Shotokan karate. Very cool. And then, so how long did you uh, travel to Jamestown to, to train with them? Uh, that, that was just for three or four months, I think, because I was getting ready to graduate and, uh, because I, I left for boot camp six days after graduation. Okay. So, and where did you uh, go to boot camp? San Diego, California. Nice. Nice. So I'm assuming yeah. you, you got into martial arts fairly quickly once you got there. Yeah. I, I enjoyed the close combat training we did in basic. And then my, um, first duty station was 29 in Palms, California. So there right away, I started, I joined the, the judo club and started training and then we'd go and and enter some of the judo tournaments in Southern California. And uh, so there again, and after a while, there was some karate being taught. The the main instructor I worked with there again was Mudaquan. So I uh, worked with him and uh, trained, and then we'd have various other black belts and other styles would come in and and teach classes here and there. So um, yeah, actually, one night might be working Gojiru, the next night might have been uh, Shorinru or Shitoru, and uh, it was really interesting. But the base, again, was Mudokwan at that point. I just love that, that they were blending in so much, because I know when I first got into martial arts, there was a lot, you know, not a lot, I guess, but uh, you know, some of the instructors I had that didn't like you training in other styles, but yet a lot of the people I've interviewed and stuff that you know started training back then in the 60s and 70s it was encouraged upon so <laughs> i don't know right. where, where, where that disconnect happened where some people are like you can only train at my school I, I literally had an instructor in town forbid me to train at another school i'm like well you can't really stop me but <laughs> yeah it's, it's yeah a- it was really wonderful although uh, at one point uh, when we were training uh, there was a kung fu class uh, on the other side of, of the base gym that was training and it was a soft style of Kung Fu. And I truly had no idea of what they were doing. And, and to me, it just looked soft and flowery. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I told my uh, Mudaquan instructor that, uh, you know, that stuff really looks silly. He <laughs> says, well, I, I, I will introduce you to the uh, instructor. So a Chinese American Marine came over and, and uh, he chatted with my instructor for a little bit. And then my instructor said, why don't you spar him a little bit? And I thought, oh, this will be just fine. I, I think I was a brown belt at that point. And uh, within uh, about 15 seconds, I pretty much knew that uh, I was mincemeat against <laughs> this guy. I'd make a move. He'd hit me about five different times. And uh, he, he was just amazing. It's just that between soft style and hard style, both can be very powerful. It's just that the, uh, they look so different. Right. So I, I determined that uh, maybe I should study more before I open my mouth. <laughs> Probably a good idea. So then how long were you at 29 Palms and how long, you know, how long did you do training? There? Uh, let's see. I was there for almost a little over a year and a half. Okay. Right? And, and I had requested orders to Japan and the Marine Corps came through and I got to go to Southern 
in Japan, Iw- Iwakuni. Okay. So really quick, while you were still at 20, at what point did you start getting rank in any of your styles? Um, let's see. I guess while I was at 29 Palms and had been training with the karate, they actually put a promotion board together. Okay. And uh, for four nights, the testing went on for about two hours each night. And after four nights of that, or about eight hours of testing, the black, all the black belts that had been working together got together and um, promoted me to, to black belt. And mm-hmm. then I contacted uh, Saji Sensei to see if he approved, and he did. So um, that was where I made Shodan in karate. And I was a Sankyu or the first Brown level in uh, judo okay. at that point when, when I got my orders for Japan. And then really quick, I, you definitely got to talk about this because I, I just, I have your bio in front of me and I'm just glancing through it again. Talk a little bit about meeting master Bongsu Han because that's pretty awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, at one of the tournaments, uh, one of the guys that was on the judo team with me had met master Han before. And he says, you know, this is the guy from the Billy Jack movies. I said, wow, that, that was amazing. I, I love that movie. I, I, uh, must've seen it six different times. Nice. Anyway, he inter- he introduced me to, to master Han. And, uh, since we were Marines, he said, well, please, um, stop by my dojang. And um, at that time, he had two. He had one. His main one was in Santa Monica, and the other one was in Culver City, just down the street from Martial Arts Supply, which was the only place you could find things for a long time. Okay. And uh, I went there by myself uh, on a Saturday morning and watched class that he was teaching. And when between classes, I uh, I asked him if I could train there. And it'd only be on, on occasional Saturdays because it's four hours away from 29 Palms to get into Culver City. And uh, he said, well, this is maybe. And he says, what are you willing to pay? And at that time, I think he was a seventh degree black belt. And I uh, said, well, you know, I could probably, if I needed to, I could pay you 15 to $20 an hour since it was only going to be occasionally in that and he goes and he shakes his head. No, he says, he says, that won't do. He says, you pay $5 and train all day. <laughs> and at that point, I, I'd been told he had a waiting list at wow. both, both of his dojangs because of the Billy Jack movies and everything. So I would drive to uh, Culver City and went through about two or three classes in the morning and early afternoon. And in between classes, he would work with me individually on stuff. He was just the nicest uh, individual and had the fastest kicks I ever saw. Oh my goodness. He, uh, he was so good and had unbelievable control. He went and stuck his legs straight up at one point and did a pivot that I swear must've taken him almost a minute to do. It was machine perfect. Wow. And, and then I would see him just brutalize a heavy bag with a spinning heel kick. I just had never seen power like he had uh, in those kicks. That's cool. That's I mean, that's amazing that you got to train with him. So how, how how many times do you think you got to train with him? How many you know, I probably about four. I think that go in there and <laughs> four uh, more than a lot of other people got to though. So that's pretty yeah, awesome. Yeah, I ended up being on duty for uh, several months where I just Saturdays turned out to be work days for me, mm-hmm. and I just couldn't make it. And then my orders came for Japan, so okay. uh, off off to Japan I went. So then, what happened once you got to Japan? Well, at uh, Japan, the first thing I did was join the the judo club, and we had. The senior instructor was Nakano Sensei, who was a seventh don. And then his assistant was Fuji Sensei, who was a Godon, fifth, fifth degree. And uh, we're training for a little bit. And uh, Nakano Sensei came up and he said that if if I would like to, I was invited to come and also train at his dojo over in Kintai, close to the Kintai Bridge, one of the most famous tourist spots in Japan. Uh, so I got to train on base and out at, at his dojo. And when we went for the first tournament, 
where I was representing his dojo, he filled out the paperwork and he, he put down uh, EQ, first degree brown belt. And I said, sensei, he says, uh, I'm, I'm only Q. He says, you're a U.S. Marine. All Americans that are Marines, you're EQ. So at that point, I had an instant promotion to first degree brown belt <laughs> wow. in, in judo. And uh, so we worked with that. And then one of the first people I'd met when I got to Japan was one of the Japanese self-defense force uh, guys, the Navy division. And uh, he was a Kyokushinkai karate stylist. So we started training together a little bit. And then he had a four days leave and asked me if I'd be interested in going along. And I was a, I was available. So we left. He only spoke a few words of English and I only spoke a few words of Japanese, <laughs> but we were up around Kobe and some different places that he showed me around in Japan. And, uh, I probably learned more more Japanese in that four days where there wasn't anyone that spoke English than at any other time <laughs> in my tour over there. It, uh, it was really, really fun. And then for karate, the Japanese self-defense guys also, they'd have whoever was senior in whatever style would lead classes. And uh, I got invited to go and train with with them. Those classes were really hardcore training as well. There was there was always some contact in in the the sparring or kumite. And was that a that specific was. style, or was that multiple styles? Uh, at that time, it was pretty much a multiple styles. Now, when I look at YouTube and and you look up the Japanese self defense force, it seems that they have one specific style okay and and if they had it at that time no one really presented it there it was it was basics and sparring and and again i i, I know that the original guy that i considered uh, uh my senpai was uh, uh Kai, and he had trained under ashihara sensei one of uh oyama's main uh, students oh wow okay and uh then i i kept training with them and I'd stay in touch with Saji. And then I found out Saji sensei was back visiting his dad who happened to be the head or the last living uh, black belt in the karate jitsu style that I'd trained under him with. Okay. And so I got to go up and, and uh, stay at his house and he scheduled a Nidon exam for me. So the first part of that was at the uh, police academy. So we had about three hours or four hours of him examining my judo. And then we had a break in the afternoon for a while. And he told me not to eat any supper. And then we went to a uh, dojo and uh, he'd brought in black belts from four different styles. And his son, uh, Tatsuo, was there to represent uh, judo. And I went through about a two or three hour karate exam of, of basics, uh, terminology, uh, just a little bit of kata, and then uh, sparring. And I was sparring against a couple of guys who were already second degree black belts. And uh, a real advantage I had is that training with uh, the Korean styles, uh, I could throw a roundhouse kick off the front leg which you just didn't see that much with the Japanese stylus. Mm -hmm. And I could score pretty much at will with that. So I think that probably really saved me in, in the sparring. <laughs> but uh, at the end of it, I guess I'd passed. And uh, we went back to Saji's house, had a light supper, and I was exhausted. I mean, altogether, I'd, I'd probably did about six hours of testing through that whole day. So, wow. But I survived it. That's good. <laughs> That's the important thing, I suppose, huh? <laughs> Surviving. Yeah. Now, now the next day was kind of interesting because I'm down there and I'm, I'm pretty proud of the fact that, okay, so I'm, I'm now a secondary black belt. And, and then I was looking at Saji Sensei and thought, you know, he hasn't even put a gi on in years. And I wonder, you know, how good he really is. And it was like, he read my mind. Hmm. He says, pick up stick. So I grabbed the stick. He says, you hit me hard. <laughs> So I says, okay, he wants me to hit him. So I will. I stepped in, I went to hit him and all of a sudden he wasn't where I expected him to be. And I'm bent over and my arms are tied up behind my back. And that stick is, is putting terrible pain on me in ways. I'm not even quite sure how it happened. 
And he says, you want to see this again slow? I says, no, thank you, Sensei. But uh, at that point, I, I pretty much knew that uh, maybe he hasn't put a gi on for a while, but I did not want to mess with him. And he would have been probably 58 or 59 at that point. I know he'd been in World War II okay. and had been assigned in China and that. So he, he was a combat veteran there as well. That's cool. So how long were you in Japan? Um, about 13 months. Okay. Sounds like you squeezed a lot of training martial arts training into those 13 I months. I did <laughs> my, um, my, uh, job field in the Marine Corps for my first enlistment, uh, was Marine postal. So I'm Marine postal clerk. So we had pretty much regular hours, uh, unless I was working in the dispatch center, which we built all the, the pallets that went on the aircraft to haul mail. And mm-hmm. then, uh, uh, it also meant that I would drive out to the, uh, train station. I was the only uh, one of the younger Marines that spoke any Japanese at all. So I'd go out and uh, mail would come back on the train from uh, Yokosuka and uh, some of the other, other bases. And then we'd go through that, keep what was ever set up. And then we'd palletize and, and send it out for Okinawa or the States on uh, some of the pallets. So by being a Marine postal clerk uh, really gave me a, uh, time to train that I, I never would have had if I would have gone infantry, which was my first request. Okay. But uh, with my test scores, they really didn't want me in, in infantry. So what, what I got gave me great training opportunities. Wonderful. So then what, what happened next? What happened after you left Japan? Um, there I went back to uh, Camp Pendleton, California, and one of my um, karate students or guys that I'd trained with on the base, I was teaching some some karate for some of the other Marines as well. And uh, he also followed me back and we were in training in the gym one day and in, in walks this tall, lanky guy with a judo gi and he says, can I watch? And uh, I said, certainly. And he's sitting there and he uh, says, wow, he says, you've got jujitsu and, 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 and you've got karate that you're doing. And he introduced himself as George Caldwell and George had trained in Daitoru Aikijitsu and had just come back from Okinawa where he trained pretty much straight judo and was on uh, the local judo team in Okinawa. And we became best friends and trained together and started going to some of the, the big tournaments one of the first, oh, and I, I'd started training, or I was teaching both a judo class and a karate class uh, on Camp Pendleton. Okay. And after probably three or four months, we went into one of the karate tournaments that was being sponsored by um, Takuboda. Oh, and wow. uh, uh, Shokasugi was there and, and wow. working with him in that. And we actually walked in and, and Saji sensei had, had taught us a particular way to fold our geese where you, it slips over your arm and the OB, the tied part is in towards you, but it's a way that you carried your gi and yet your hands were, were still available. So we go to this big tournament and, uh, we go to the registration and, and the guy at the registration say, table says, well, what group do you represent? And I said, just said, you know, we're a karate club from, from Camp Pendleton. He said, well, who are you registered with? I said, we're, we're not registered with, with anybody here. And at this point, Takaboda comes up and he's uh, just listening for a couple minutes. And he looks at my students and how their geese were and mine was. And he, he goes to the desk guy, he says, they're okay. Sign them up for, for what they, they say. And uh, I think we went in and we, my younger folks, we won some uh, trophies for the, the low ranks. I, I went and fought and didn't do real good in, in the sparring that day. But uh, as soon as I was done, I went and started um, refereeing and corner judging. They'd asked anybody to go and do that. And uh, gosh, we'd go back about every couple months for a, a tournament. And, and we'd done that two or three times. And uh, there was a closed tournament that I think Shokasugi was the main one behind it, along with Kubota as well. And they only invited 10 dojos in all of California. And our Camp Pendleton dojo was one of the 10. Wow. And, and one of the things that impressed them, I found out later, was that I had told my students, I said, you know, uh, when you're not fighting, you're done. Try to help wherever you can, whether it's helping to run a timetable or whatnot. And then while we were 
when things finished, we hung around for a little bit and helped pick up chairs and whatnot. And that really impressed uh, the the guys uh, for the tournament. So they they thought pretty pretty highly of us, I guess, to get that invitation. I I was just couldn't hardly believe it that, that of all the phenomenal dojos that were in California and that for, for this one tournament, we got invited. So I, I, I was pretty amazed and, and happy about that. So. That's impressive. And a couple more legends you got to meet also. I mean, Oh my goodness. Yeah. Cause so, I mean, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and then we'd gone to Ed Parker's tournament at one time. Uh, and my buddy George brought a, a movie camera. So he'd, he went and, and photographed some of the, he had a great, movie that he'd taken of of Shokasugi with about four of his students he's in a a light blue satin gi and and showing all these great self-defense techniques as the students would come in and attack him um Man, i'd love to see that video <laughs> yeah I, I wish i had that one i do have a couple little uh, eight millimeter films that i should get put on to stuff of of other things that we'd done in california oh yeah that, that george had filmed and uh it, uh, yeah, it, it was amazing. I, I wish that I, I would have got, it. um, George had contracted a really nasty disease and died as a, as a young guy okay. that was, uh, yeah, it was, it was really sad that, uh, he, uh, he passed away many years before he should have. Okay. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's, that's never good. when someone young goes like that and well, and, and when I left the Marine Corps and came back to North Dakota and the next year when George's tour with the Marine Corps was up, he followed me into North Dakota and I'd opened a martial arts school in Valley City and George went and joined me as a partner oh, cool. uh, in, okay. in, in working at the school there. So we stuck together for about four years at, at that point before it was time to graduate and move off to other opportunities. So your school in, in the Valley City then that you ran, was that uh, the same t- style? You were combined of like judo and karate? and Well, I taught a separate uh, judo class and a separate karate class. Okay. Uh, uh, the karate, we had one class also that was set up uh, through the college. So the karate for the adult education program, they uh, would come and take that class. And then we'd come into Fargo and enter the Taekwondo term. So I got mm-hmm. to meet master Yoon nice. at that point. And uh, we'd come in every time he'd put on a tournament. And as I got to know him and some of his black belts, then they invited George and I to come to uh, training on Saturday morning training when, and Master Yoon would do uh, uh, just black belt training. Uh, the famous and, uh, famous Yoon black belt class. I, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We I've heard the stories. I, I can imagine we, it was we had insane. a great great time, and and we beat the he- I mean we beat the heck out of each other. Nice. Um, when you uh, left that training, it it looked like you went for a swim in your uh, gi because it was absolutely soaking wet. I, I got to train with him. Cause he's my instructor's instructor. I got to train with him twice over the years. And one of the classes he did, it wasn't just black belts. It was actually purple trim and above. And it was, a ended up being a two and a half hour class. And it was probably the hardest class I've ever gone through in my life. It was, oh, it, yeah. it was we, crazy insane. <laughs> yeah. We, he really worked us out hard and was a phenomenal instructor. And in that I, I was very impressed with him and, and, uh, got to be, uh, involved when he became a uh, American citizen, a bunch of the black belts, we all got together and uh, took up a collection and we bought him a very nice um, pistol to oh. celebrate uh, becoming an American citizen. Cool. And okay. uh, yeah, I was honored to be able to be a part of, of that, to, to go and do, do that for him. Okay. And it says in here, you also were helping out with the NDSU Judo Club at the time too. Right. We got a, a phone call one day and uh, India, the instructor at the time was, was only a brown belt and the um, NDSU wanted them to have a black belt advisor at least. And uh, Vern Borgen was, was the brown belt that was teaching at that point. He'd called the United States Judo Association and asked, you know, uh, where the nearest black belts were. So Valley City is about uh, 60 miles away. Uh, they'd given him George's name and my name. And uh, about this time, I think we we were both Nidons or secondary black belts mm-hmm. in judo. And uh, so one of us would go over and uh, probably about once a week, one of us would go and, and help 
lead and, and do some stuff with the uh, the judo club at NDSU. We became very, very good friends with Vern. Vern uh, went and passed me up in, in judo. Um, when he passed away, he'd, he'd been a six-degree black belt for, for a few years. And uh, I could say was was one of my closest friends that I, that I ever had. He's so. an amazing instructor too. I got, I got lucky enough to train with him a handful of times too. Such a, such yeah, a good Vern, Vern was amazing. Uh, a couple of years ago for their con Geiko, that, which is the traditional winter training festival for judo that asked Vern to, to teach a little segment. And they asked me to teach a segment and I had, hadn't had a gi on for, for a while at that point, but Vern went out and he was, working on a couple particular throws teaching, but he had lung cancer. So Vern is, is teaching his section with a 30 foot hose on his oxygen mask. Wow. So that he could go and, or the, the nasal thing that he was wearing. So he was getting oxygen. And for me, after some injuries that I'd gone through and, and multiple surgeries, I had someone that would have to hold my cane and I I was teaching that day on Kazushi or off off balancing and showing principles of that. So in between, while I'm kind of showing the direction of what something should go, I'd had one person holding my cane and then would give it back to me as soon as I could tell them, okay, here's the principle. Now you go and do it. And you said you you ran that school in Valley City for for four years while you were going to college. So then, right. when when you About, left, did someone else take it over? Yep, I had a couple of the um, my black belts at that point that started doing um, some training. It ended up closing not not too long after that. I okay. moved up to Northwestern North Dakota. I'd gotten a teaching and principals job up there for about a year, and then uh, moved back and was in Valley City again, trained a little bit with some of my former students, but we didn't uh, have a dojo really set up at that point. And then I got a job over in Devil's Lake, North Dakota. So I was there and I started teaching karate classes at the youth center Okay. there. And then I started doing uh, defensive tactics for their police department up there. Cool. Okay. And, uh, about that point, the uh, the chief liked what I was doing and and uh, came and recruited me for the police department. So at that point, I got sent uh, or joined the Devil's Lake Police Department, went through the, uh, the state academy, and we stayed there for about four years, moved back to, or I took a position with NDSU Police Department for just a, a real short period of time, mm-hmm. about 88. And uh, I got a, I, I was Marine Corps Reserve at that point and had been staying pretty busy with that on, on top of things. And I got a phone call from headquarters Marine Corps one day and they asked me if I'd be willing to go back on active duty to go in and train some people. As a re- reserve, I'd become military police. And uh, I said, well, where do you want me? And they said, how's Cherry Point, North Carolina sound? Well, we'd had the All-Marine Judo Championships at Cherry Point. So I'd I and George had, were two of the people f- that went and represented Camp Pendleton at the All Marines that time. So uh, I liked Cherry Point. My wife liked the idea. So we transferred out and spent the next four years at Cherry Point, North Carolina. And the first thing I did is join the uh, judo club. And uh, just a few months later, went and represented the Marine Corps Air Station at the All Marine Championships that were in California that time. So. Nice. So twice in my life, I got to go and, and uh, compete at the all Marine championships, which that was, that was pretty awesome to literally be paid for, for doing uh, judo at that point. That's really cool. I know a buddy of mine who, who's in the military ended up, uh, because of his uh, martial arts background, he got paid to go to Brazil and train at the Gracie Academy in the early nineties. So he could train the military's jujitsu team. So I'm like, that's kind of cool. <laughs> they pay, yeah, you, it, pay it, you to train. It's, it's really a shame. The Marine Corps has, has gotten out of a, a lot of the the sports activities that were in there. That's too bad. But uh, yeah, it, it was still great. And then after I'd been at uh, Cherry Point for about four years, headquarters Marine Corps went and asked me if I uh, wanted to go to uh, Chicago or Houston. And I said, well, what's do I have a third choice? And they said, yeah, unemployment. <laughs> so uh, my wife and I chose Houston. 
okay. got down there. And once we um, got uh, checked in and assigned, I, I uh, went through the yellow pages and uh, was looking at what martial arts were available. And I came to this a real small ad for the Houston Budokan with uh, Daryl Craig as the head instructor. And I thought, Daryl Craig, Daryl Craig, I know that name from someplace. So I went to my library and here I had a book on EI that uh, I was very impressed with. And so I went to visit the, the dojo. And at that point, I Saji Sensei had, had come over a couple of times to visit. And, and over the years, I'd, I'd been promoted to third Don at that point. And uh, so I sign it or go and visit. And, and Craig Sensei says, well, what style? I said, well, it was Hakuryu Karate Jitsu. He says, I never heard of it. I says, well, it's it's a pretty small style. There aren't many people that, that do it anymore. And it's not the same as Hakuru Jiu-Jitsu, which the separation, I'm not sure when it uh, occurred and whatnot, but they're not related. And uh, so Craig Sensei says, well, we're just about to start karate class. You can uh, start with us if you, you want. And uh, there were some several black belts that were in there. And there was one guy that was really big CJ. And I watched, he had good, strong karate and that's who Craig sensei kind of teamed me up with. So we're each holding a, a handheld Makiwara and we're practicing full reverse punches and lunge punches. And, and next thing we're, we're down in, in the Japanese kneeling or Seiza position and having to throw kicks from those positions. And after about an hour and a half, class ends, and we go back in, and uh, I'm following some of the other guys, and I and I heard CJ say, he says, if we ever do another class like this, he says, I quit. This was crazy. And at that point, I walked in, and I says, oh, I love this place. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he looked at me, he says, you're nuts. <laughs> but uh, after all the training that I'd done in Japan and, and uh, things in between there, it, it, it was just great. And uh, I got to spend three years training under Craig Sensei, wow. which was absolutely amazing. I got ranked in jujitsu there. I got ranked in Taiho Jitsu or the police jujitsus of, of Japan. Did a promotion in karate there as well before we left. And the um, it, I'd done the fourth degree black belt exam in jujitsu, and it was a uh, a very challenging exam. I had to know a lot of judo history uh, as well. So they'd ask questions and I had to know who some of the famous black belts were and understand how judo and jujitsu were separated. So it was discussion, um, a demonstration. I did uh, nage no kata as, as part of it, the throwing kata as part of the jujitsu test. That one went on for about four hours. And then um, couple nights later was the karate exam. That one went on for about two and a half hours and that, but uh, uh, all the ranks uh, there for the jujitsu and the karate came from the Seishinkai in Japan. So that was just great. And, and training under Craig Sensei, who was phenomenal. A lot of the principles and things that other instructors would talk about, you know, I always thought I had a good idea, but it was training under someone of Craig Sensei's uh, skill, where all of a sudden I started understanding how things uh, worked, whether it was the uh, a lot of, of off balancing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think doing uh, judo under Craig Sensei probably at that point was would have been the best judo skills that I ever had. I wish I would have had that type of training before some of my matches years before. I suppose. Yeah. And, and then my, at the, for ju judo and jujitsu there, uh, my senpai was Claudia Smith. Now Claudia placed gold, silver, and I think bronze at various times at the Pan Am games in judo. Okay. And one of the Craig Sensei would bring in uh, really high-ranked uh, instructors. We I got to train under uh, Fukuda Sensei, the highest-ranked woman in the world. Uh, she came in, and I think it was two months after she'd had heart surgery. I saw him doing uh, shoulder throws and uh, katagurum at 180-pound guys. I mean, she only came up to about the middle of your chest for for height. Her her judo was remarkable, probably the greatest kata expert on the planet. And she was the last living 
student of Kano that uh, wow. had existed. So, uh, and and you can find some really good stuff on Fukuda Sensei uh, on YouTube that's out there. Okay. But when she passed away and the, uh, they brought over Sengoku, um, who was the chief instructor of the Tokyo police department and got to uh, do seminars under him. I actually got to be uh, his uh, training uh, dummy for the classes that were in there for, for a bunch. He had uh, won the, the Japanese police judo title 16 times. And, uh, his his judo and, and jujitsu was, or for the police stylist actually taiho jitsu, was remarkable, un, unbelievable uh, strength and speed from him. Yeah, that was uh, amazing. And then Craig Sensei had brought some other people in. He'd brought Shioda Sensei from Aikido at one point. I wasn't at the training. So then after Texas, you kind of went full circle. You came back home to North Dakota. Talk a little yep, bit about we, that. We came back home. Uh, my wife's dad had had a stroke um, while we were in, in Texas. My mom had had a stroke. I ended up uh, having an accident and was going to be forced to uh, uh, become a, a civilian again, much to my disappointment. So we decided we'd come home and we really wanted our, our daughter to have a North Dakota education. So we came back and I started teaching uh, a little bit of martial arts in Valley City, got hired at Moorhead State University and taught a personal security class there and, and then some judo at that point. And uh, because of medical problems, it got to the point where I was lecturing more and more and, and having brown belts and black belts actually do a lot of the techniques. And uh, it got to the point where I just couldn't do anything medically anymore. I knew I was facing some pretty serious surgeries. So I turned that over to a couple of my black belts okay. that were out there and, and handled it. And, and the course went, or they did really well until at some point Morehead State decided to uh, drop the class. It did turn out that one of the uh, Morehead State University students that I had trained with me for uh, a couple, three semesters is now at the uh, University of Iowa. And he uh, replaced Master Park, who had been an instructor at that university for I'm guessing 40 years at least. And uh, the student went on. He is now the martial arts instructor at Iowa State University. So wow, I, I thought that was pretty neat. That's really cool, actually. <laughs> and then, so just kind of take us through then what, uh, when you when you had to stop teaching, I know you kind of mentioned in here, what, what ranks did you end up at by the time you had to stop your training? When, when everything was done, I had a fifth degree black belt in karate, and uh, that came from the Seishin Kai. I had a fifth degree black belt in jujitsu, also from the jujitsu side of the Seishin Kai. I had my teaching licenses from Japan for both karate and jujitsu, besides the promotions, which not many people have have a, a Japanese teaching certificate right. that was there. And um, I'd been promoted to fifth degree black belt in, in the Japanese police Taiho Jitsu. And... Then through the United States Judo Association and then recognized by the United States Judo Federation, I had fourth Don in judo. Wow. That, that finished up. So Quite a for, a, for a farm kid <laughs> from Rogers, North Dakota, I just couldn't believe how lucky I was with some of the people I got to train with over over the years oh yeah that's just an amazing martial arts journey i mean that's I, i'm glad you were we got to hear your story so well, one one point yeah. going back to japan for a minute mm -hmm. at at one of the tournaments they were doing rank testing and one of the guys was in the judo club with us on iwakuni air, at the marine air station he needed to do nagino kata which is the, the throwing kata for his black belt test and he asked if i would be azuke the guy that takes the falls so I said I would, and we'd had Nakano sensei that helped us. We had Fuji sensei that, that had, had helped and we went through and the judo katas have to be very precise, the angle that you throw at and everything. So we've gotten to the tournament, they got the tournament done, they're starting testing and it comes time for the, the kata and uh, my buddy goes out and, and we demonstrate the, the kata and, and it really, it, it went very nice. It, I mean, I felt good about what I had done for my half on it. And, and I thought he had done a wonderful job. And uh, after all the kata was done, 
Fukumoto Sensei steps up. Now, Fukumoto Sensei was eighth Don. I think he was the senior Kodokan representative for Southern Japan. He comes out and is very angry. And he uh, is going and, and talking about, he said, oh, for the, for the kata portion, most of you just went and grabbed somebody and you came out and you sort of did the katas. And he, he said, it's embarrassing that that the American brings his own uke that they've trained together and that they did better kata than any of you did. So, and, and we're getting this through a translator that's telling us that. And as soon as things were done, testing was over, everybody was coming up and introducing themselves and bowing and saying, thank you for the, the demonstration. Nice. And uh, at first, I really didn't know <laughs> what was going on, but it turned out to be quite the day. Fukumoto Sensei owned a private English school that he taught, and uh, he said if I would, he would pay my train fare if I would come to his home uh, a couple evenings a week and teach conversational English. Oh wow! And so he'd he'd pay me what the train fare was, which was like three hundred yen at that time or something. I it was very not much but then i got private training from fukumoto sensei on a couple particular throws and his specialty was on shimewaza the the chokes and strangles so i i don't know how many times he basically went and sort of choked me out a lot but uh it, it was pretty neat getting the extra training from an eighth don on on those skills which and those come in rather handy as I, when I was still competing and, and that, so. That's really cool. That's a great story. So just a, a few questions to wrap things up. What advice would you give someone who approaches you? They know nothing about martial arts. They're thinking of getting into it. What tips would you give them? What to look for in a school or maybe what to avoid in a school or an instructor? You know, the, um, the first thing is to go and visit some different schools. And, and the most important thing is finding an instructor that, that you think is doing a good job that communicates well. That's more important than the style is. Right. For younger people, I think judo is is the best martial arts for kids. They learn to fall. That's going to help them through life, whether it's accidents or slipping on the ice, car accidents, different things. That's that's important, and it's hands on. You know, if you've got an eight year old and you're trying to make him stand in a front stance and not move. That's very hard for an eighth, eight-year-old. Yes. Where in judo, they've got their hands on their training partner. So the, it's it's much better training. And I think they enjoy it a little bit more when it's a lot of hands-on uh, that goes through. You know, there just isn't much for kids judo, at, at least in, in this part of the country these days. But, you know, whether it's the taekwondo schools or uh, a karate club that they find just find find a good instructor talk to some of the people that have been training for a while and then and then go from there perfect so if you what are your thoughts now you have a primarily traditional background in martial arts what are your thoughts on mma and the ufc are you a fan at all or what are you curious you know when when they first started doing it and the gracies got going we'd we'd go and get together and and, and have pizza and, and watch uh the competitions they were interesting but the, the lack of, of technique that we were seeing and the um, win at all costs mentality, it's, I, I am not a fan anymore okay. um, for, for what those people win, unless they're going to be a star. I don't think a lot of them make enough to pay for the medical bills. Um, I would agree. <laughs> I, between Japan and a couple places, I'd fought some full contact matches in my life. And, uh, it's, it's not what you should be doing to your, your body. You're, you're going to pay, pay for it at, at some point down the road. Definitely. And, uh, I, I would say that what I look at my favorite part is, is the actual self-defense aspects that go with the martial arts. So I still consider that, that I teach a karate jitsu rather than a karate do karate do is uh, you get good philosophy and personal satisfaction. And with what I've done over the years, I believe that you got to be able to defend yourself and then it's up to you to become a good person. So uh, I guess I have a very traditional view of 
what karate is. And when I watch it on TV and I see people doing backflips and the splits as part of their kata and ki-eyeing or yelling on every single technique, that's really interesting gymnastics, but I, I don't consider that karate. The MMA is very powerful, but I think that true karate where you're out training, you're hitting the makiwara, the striking posts and, and working old type training like that is still superior. Great. That's a great answer. So now this doesn't have to be someone you trained with, but it can be just if you had to pick just one martial artist to put up top for someone you just truly admire, who would you pick? Oh, Craig Sensei. Oh, perfect. Yep. Yep. Daryl, Daryl Craig, you can find stuff um, online uh, from, from him. Uh, he's written several books uh, and now he's actually written a couple uh, uh, fiction novels oh, okay. as well. But Daryl Max Craig, he was the team captain for the U.S. Kendo championships okay. uh, a couple of different times. He uh, was the defensive tactics teacher for the Houston Academy for, I think, 17 years at one point. He, he was the best instructor that, that I ever had. And I still stay in contact with him. And before COVID, if we go down to Houston, we go and visit him or uh, one of the, um, the guys um, that uh, did Hapkido okay. up here in, in Fargo and, and still has a group that, that trains. I'd, I'd go down and visit him as a little bit at the same time. Cause he only lives about 10 minutes from Craig sensei, but uh, perfect. Uh, yeah. Uh, Daryl Craig, his, his books are very well done, especially for the people that do Kenjitsu or Kendo. His, his books are excellent. The uh, Eido book that he did, he's done a couple different jujitsu books that have some very humorous stories. Uh, Craig Sensei also has got to be one of the finest storytellers oh. that when you we would finish training and, and sit around the dojo and, and he would talk about people that he'd trained with and different stories and, and whatnot. Um, it was great. The, um, the guys from the Japanese consulate in Houston would come and train at the Houston Budokan for primarily Kendo and, and then some judo as were, we'd usually see them. And then Craig sensei would take groups to Japan and with contacts that he had and who his instructors were, they actually got to go and train at the Imperial Dojo when they would go and, wow. and train in Japan. So he was a very well-connected uh, martial artist uh, and, and respected in Japan as well. So wonderful. whoever, yeah, I, I couldn't afford those trips at that point in my life, but uh, it would have been amazing to go with the places that they went and, and the dojos that they had access to. So I will be looking up some of his books for sure. So, so if you had to pick one, one philosophy you've learned in all your years of martial arts that really stands out. Oh my goodness. Um, from Jigoro Kano, the guy that invented judo, mm -hmm. uh, maximum efficiency, minimum effort. Nice. I think I've actually heard that one a couple of times now from some of my guests. That's a, that's a great, I love that quote. It it's, it is the basis of true martial arts that's in there. One, one of the things that used to just drive me crazy, especially in Japan, I was a Marine Corporal there. I had a black belt in karate. I had a brown belt in judo. And I knew I was stronger than, than some of the guys I was competing against in, in judo and, and in training. And I thought I was stronger as well. And yet I'd be out there and be doing the randori or the uh, informal matches with some of these guys who were 50, 60, 70 years old. And they would kick my butt with no effort at all. And I kept at that point looking at what their hands were doing. And as years went by and after training with Craig since he says, the real technique is the, the footwork. So watch, watch the footwork because everything else is just gravy. And uh, yeah, I mean, the true efficiency that, that these people had learned, the technique had become so strong that their effort was, was minimal, yeah, but it took me a long time to be able to understand that what's, what's happening down low and, and what the legs are doing um, and how that generates power in both karate or judo techniques. It's, it, it's the footwork that is the secret in, in martial arts. 
Perfect. So I know you have a, a library. You're probably one of the few that has more martial arts books than I do. So I'm kind of curious on your answer, but your favorite martial arts book. Oh my goodness. My favorite martial arts book. I've got to roll over here a little bit. <laughs> and a lot of people, every time I ask them this, their answer changes. So <laughs> I'm not going to hold you to it, but you know, whatever your decision is today is fine. I think that the Kodokan judo book by Jigoro Kano is probably my favorite book if i could only have have one okay um close to it would be i i have a copy of this is karate by oyama that i'd gotten as a gift when i was about 17 i understand that one's quite valuable yeah that one's i've tried finding that one so um yeah um i i really enjoy that one on the karate side the um you know, it sort of depends on, on what you want to focus on. Right. The Canon of Judo by um, Kuzio Mifune, who is oh. probably the greatest Judo man of all time. Yep. His his book is well done, and it's been republished. Uh, the original copies, I know one of my buddies had, had bought one in the 70s, and he paid over $300 for it then wow. to get a copy. So, yeah, those are some of the, the main ones. And just out of... You know, I, th- I think back, wait a second, you know, I'm going to go and change my mind. <laughs> my uh, Lightning Jiu-Jitsu by Harry Lord oh, is probably my favorite book. And uh, yeah, that one that's in there. And uh, between things that I did in the Marine Corps and uh, defensive tactics that I use for law enforcement classes, that was one of the basis for picking some of the, the techniques that I thought were appropriate in those cases. That's great. All right. Two more questions. Two more quick ones. Favorite martial arts TV show and favorite martial arts movie. Okay. Favorite martial arts TV show. Uh, that would have been Kung Fu nice. back in the the seventies. Yep. And the uh, favorite martial arts movie would have been, Oh, it's, it's a tough one between street fighter Ooh, with yeah. uh, Sonny Chiba yep. just passed away a couple of days ago. Yeah. Um, or the Billy Jack movies, Okay, you know, Billy Jack. And then, and then if you look at the the Billy Jack movie in slow motion, you see uh, master Han doing most of the really big techniques Mm -hmm. that, that are in there. And then the trial of Billy Jack where um, master Han plays, plays a bigger part and and helps um, that's in there. And also with that one, they, uh, they had a section where Billy Jack meets Master Han in the movie at the, the, uh, the school that his girlfriend taught at. And uh, for part of the demonstration, uh, Master Han's uh, assistant, real name was Mike Shigazani, I believe, and he's holding an apple. Yeah. And uh, Tom Laughlin does a spinning heel kick and, and hits the apple and, and breaks it. And, and I don't know whether it was Laughlin that actually did that, or if that's one of the places where Master Han got dubbed in. I've never looked at that one under slow motion, but I'd gotten to train with uh, Mike Shigazani oh. and uh, oh my goodness, he had done six years of Shotokan before he'd gone to, or several years of Shotokan. And then I think he'd been training with Master Han for about six years. Wow. And uh, he, he was really fun to train with and, and, uh, did some really hardcore styles. So that's great, man. You, this has been, this has been so much fun, Tim. I, I'm so glad we got to finally do this and uh, amazing stories and man, well, you've had well, quite, now you'll quite have to career. stop over and I can loan you a couple of these books. Yeah, I know. I, the, the one by Oyama, I might have to come and like sit on your couch and read it. So you're probably not going to want to loan that one out. But, yeah. And then but, I've got, <laughs> I've got the who's who in the martial arts in the 1970s. Perfect. And that one was interesting because I, I think it was Black Belt Magazine that, that did the thing or where they provided a lot of the material to whoever the author was. Okay. But, uh, you know, I, I got to go and see some of the people at, at some of those big California tournaments that were in that book and that. Yep. And I have to say that there were a few people that I'd read these great stories about in black belt magazine and oh, this person is amazing. And, and it's so good. And when I actually got to see some of them that were competing and whatnot, it's like, you know, they weren't necessarily what I thought they were going to be. Yeah. On the other hand, there were others that were absolutely magnificent in the magazine and absolutely magnificent to go and, 
and lock up. There were, there were a few I was people. the same way when I used to go to some of those big tournaments and I got, you know, meet people like, you know, Bill Superfoot Wallace and Benny the Jet and Gene LaBelle and Ernie Rays and Ernie Rays Jr. And it's just, it's, it's cool to meet those people in person and stuff. So, yeah, there, there was uh, uh, one of the female black belts that was really popular in, in, in the 1970s. And I've heard that she would do 500 sit ups, you know, as just part of her warm up. And that she was in a match, got tapped a little bit and was in tears. <laughs> and her karate was, it was okay, but not nearly what I, I thought it would be after reading these great, great articles about her and, and that. So that's, that's kind of funny. So <laughs> cool. Well, I will definitely be in touch. And, and when this episode's ready to air, I will send you links and, and uh, I think it's going to be a gonna be a fun one to to edit and and but I, I truly appreciate your time and yeah I will definitely uh, swing over and probably borrow some books because I'm, I'm I need to get back into reading more I used to I used to read a book a week and I need to try to get back into that habit yeah the um, the biography of Kano is a really good book okay. to read and Karate Do by uh, Funakoshi Ooh, okay. uh, Karate Do My Way of Life is a really good uh, book I'm trying to I uh, used to have a paperback copy of that one and i'm guessing i lent it to someone and never got it back so you know one of the books i used to always tell students to read was moving zen by cw nicole okay and uh, that is is a great book it talks about this guy going to japan and and studying and he got to train with remarkable people doing both shotokan and some judo that's a great book angry white pajamas is the uh, a, a good book um, about a guy that goes and decides to train with the uh, Yoshikan uh, Aikido. Okay. And it was there. Basically, it's a one-year academy that uh, Yoshikan is one of the uh, styles that a lot of the Japanese police go and utilize that's in there. And uh, that's a, a, a really great book, too. Cool. I have many on my list now that I want to check out for sure. So. Cool. Oh, and if you get Craig Sensei's uh, book on uh, jujitsu, be prepared to uh, laugh uh, a whole bunch at some of the stories that he's got in there. Okay. So, uh, Once again, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. And I will uh, let you know when the episode's getting ready to air. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.